Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Air Power Hour. Tech Sergeant Check here, and on this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Tech Sergeant Sarah Giard. Sergeant Giard has spent 12 years in the Air Force, and she began her career as a security forces defender. She was stationed in Minot, North Dakota, and in Joint Base McGuire-Dix-Lakehurst. Her current position, Sergeant Giard is a master military training instructor down at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. She has been doing the military training instructor job for two and a half years now, and she's pushed 13 flights of civilians through basic training and on to becoming airmen in the United States Air Force. Sergeant Giard had a lot of awesome advice for individuals that are interested in joining the Air Force or people that are getting ready to go to basic training. She explained how to best prepare for those six and a half weeks at Lackland Air Force Base. I had a great time sitting down with Sergeant Giard. She shared some great insight and perspective, and I appreciate her taking the time to come sit down and talk with us here on the Air Power Hour. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Tech Sergeant Sarah Giard. To all units, proceed to your post assignment. All units, proceed to your post assignment. Welcome to the Air Power Hour. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Air Power Hour. Today, I get the opportunity to be joined with a military training instructor, Tech Sergeant Sarah Giard. Sergeant Giard, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm doing very well. That's and awesome. uh Hopefully I'm interesting. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you'll be interesting. If anything, uh, people might be scared of you because, uh, like I said, she is currently a training instructor. Um, MTI is what we call them, but a training instructor down at basic training. So she's one of the scary people that yell at, you know, get people in line. Uh, and I'm really, actually really excited for you to shed light on that uh, because I know that a lot of people, that's the first impression of being in the Air Force. And I also know that it takes a lot of time and uh, and energy from from you in that career field, that special duty to do that. So I'm definitely looking forward to getting into it. But you are down in San Antonio then, correct? That is correct. Yeah. How long have you been down there? I'm going into two and a half years of doing this job. Nice. Awesome. And uh, how's the weather down there? It's pretty warm. We're, we're in a, uh, cold front. So it's in the sixties. Oh my gosh. I'm very, yes. Jealous. That's the cold here. Yeah. We just got like six and a half inches of snow up here and I'm jealous. Really? You like, I'm that? jealous. <laughs> yes. Oh, well we can switch anytime because I'm <laughs> so over it. Uh, it's, it's been rough. It's been a rough winter. So we're looking forward to summer. Absolutely. Yeah, I bet. I bet. But anyways, uh, let's get into this. Uh, what I want to do is I want to talk about um, where it all began. Uh, let's talk about why and when you decided to join the Air Force. Sure. So I always was interested in joining the military, and I kind of always thought about joining the Army. I have a uncle who's in the Army who kind of persuaded me that the Air Force had it a little bit better over his time that he had been in and what he had experienced and seen through joint service operations. And 
really what it came down to is I didn't have money for school. I really didn't have my life together. I was 18 when I went and talked to a recruiter. And just through those conversations, I was like, that's something I need to go do. That's something I need to explore. I just had the itch, if you will. Something just kept telling me like, give this a chance, give this a chance. So when I was 19, that's when I left for basic military training. Nice. And where were you current, where were you living when you decided to join the air force? I was living in my home state, the great state of Maine. Ooh, nice. Yep. Nice. And, uh, is this a thought that, that kind of just randomly popped in your head or, or what made you, I mean, I know you had your influencer with your, um, relative that was in the service, but was this something that you had given any thought when you were in high school? I had always thought about it. And for me, a pressing thought, like many others who come down here is what are my options? I don't have money for school. For me, it was something I was still interested in. I still was interested in getting an education. I felt like I didn't have a lot of direction. I didn't have a lot of other influences saying, Hey, go do this or try this. So when you're sitting down talking to a recruiter and you get just a list of opportunities and options, that's something that I definitely bid on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a, it's a common theme that I've been hearing as while I'm doing this podcast is, is that a lot of people just don't really know what direction they want to go in when they're 18, 19, 20 years old. And I was in the same, same position. I mean, I went to college for a year and I was like, I have no idea what I want to do when I grow up. So I looked to the air force and, and just like you, I wanted to continue my education. Uh, but I wanted to do a little maturing first. So, um, it's good on you that you decided that you were going to take this path. And a lot of people don't really understand that this isn't an option or they don't know that this is a path that they can take to kind of mature and grow and then have a better idea of what you want. Um, you said you wanted to continue your, your education. Did you do that? I did. I got my associate's degree in criminal justice and I'm working on my bachelor's degree in Homeland Security. I'm about 30 credits shy. Um, I should definitely have it by now, but life happens and things get in the way. But I can say that all of my credits up until now have been paid by tuition assistance. So I'm happy to have no student debt and I'll be even happier once I finish my second degree. Yeah, for sure. I... I, it took me 16 years to, to get my bachelor's degree and I literally just got it this last summer. So I definitely understand. Um, yeah, big kudos to you. No, thank you. Thank you. Uh, practice makes perfect. You know, I I took a lot (laughs) of classes and, uh, but life happens. And obviously with us being in the, the air force that there's a lot demanded from us. And, uh, especially I know your particular career field right now there's a lot demanded from you, but you go to basic training when you're 19 years old. And how was the basic training? How was that six and a half weeks or seven weeks for you? When I went to basic military training in 2011, it was eight and a half weeks long. I was in the three 22nd training squadron, which is the older recruit housing and training buildings that are still functioning right now. And it was a whirlwind. I tell trainees, because I feel like this is relevant, if you think of a beach and all the grains of sand on a beach, BMT is just one grain of sand 
compared to what's about to happen in your Air Force career. And you're going through it. I remember the heat. I remember being yelled at. I remember thinking, what did I get myself into? And that it was never going to end. And eight and a half weeks later, you graduate with, you know, what used to be 50, 60, some odd strangers who now feel like, you know, you've just gone through this thing where you've bonded for life. I knew that I felt like I was finally like part of something bigger than myself. I felt like I had a purpose. I was super excited to start my Air Force career when I graduated. For sure. Yeah. What was the hardest part of basic training for you, you think? Oh my goodness. I, I actually struggled at some time, like getting along with all those different personalities for sure. And that's very common, whether you are living with males or females, Mm -hmm. just a clash of personalities. And, um, I also got kicked off the firing line. So didn't know if I was going to graduate or not. Ooh. Yeah. My hardest part, the hardest part of base training for me was standing in formation, waiting to go into the chow hall. That was literal torture for me because I'm a person. I, I'm, I'm antsy. I like to move. And just to stand there, I felt like I had the weight of my world, the weight of world <laughs> on my shoulders. And it was just like crushing me down into like a pancake. And it was probably like seven, eight minutes that we had to stand there, but it literally took, it felt like it took forever. Um, so everything else was really, and I, I told my my recruits when I was a recruiter, it's it's basic training. It's the fundamentals. Um, so it's not hard as long as you follow the instructions that your that your training instructors are giving you. Um, once you figure that out, I think it's it's a little easier. So one hundred percent. I tell all of them, none of this stuff is hard. It's just new. Drill is not hard. It's it just might not be something that you have done before. Yeah, absolutely. All you got to do, like you said, listen to your instructor, you're golden. Yeah. So one of the cool things about this podcast with you is that we're actually going to be releasing it in March and that's Women's History Month. So we wanted a a woman's perspective on being in the Air Force. I think it's really important to all the potential people who might join that are female that to hear, um, you know, a female's side. So how was it? Um being in basic training and then in, in tech school, how was it being a female? Was it, um, different or, or more challenging or, uh, what was the, the takeaway for you? I think in basic training, there wasn't much differences. However, when I went through basic training, your flight was all the same gender. Mm -hmm. So I lived with females and then my flight was female. But we did do a lot of our activities with our brother flight, the males who lived across the hall. And we had a very good bond with them. It was They were like our brothers. Now the flights are integrated and it represents kind of the ratio in the operational air force because in the flights now, if you have 45 trainees, you might have 10 females in that flight. So it's kind of trying to mimic what is going to happen as you move into the operational air force as a female. And even when I was in tech school, that's when I kind of noticed more that females were the minority within whatever group they found themselves in for training, for class. And that has remained relevant since. 
Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know that they did that. I, I kind of like that, that they're, they're mimicking the operational air force. They can, they can prepare you uh, in that way. That that's really cool. So it's, it's been, it's been helpful, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you go to basic training and obviously you don't become a training instructor right away. Uh, Correct. What was your first job in the air force? My air force specialty code is security forces. I love being a defender. I love being security forces. And right after basic military training, I went right up the street at Lackland Air Force Base to my technical training, which is here at Lackland. Spent 13 weeks there, and then I went to my first duty location, which was Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota. Nice. So from Maine to North Dakota, how how was that transition? North Dakota is very flat, and the wind hurts your face. It is cold there. It is very cold. I worked the gate in negative 77 degrees with the wind chill. It was like, it was about negative 60 ambient. Oh my gosh. Yes. Obviously the air force in your career probably provided you with, uh, the correct clothing to go to, to my not, I'm guessing lots of cold weather gear, lots of cold weather gear. Yes. That's, That's one of the cool things I like about the air force is that if you go to a place that's really cold, um, they provide you with some some really great cold weather gear. Every time I go outside now to to shovel the snow, I'm wearing Air Force gear because it's the best. So. Correct. So security forces, what is a day in the life of a security forces member? It all depends on what you're doing. There's so many avenues for a security forces member to take. A lot of that depends on the mission of the base that you were at. When I was in Minot, I worked security almost the entire time that I was there because there's a nuclear mission there. When I went to Joint Base McGuire-Dix-Lakers, which is in New Jersey, I worked all law enforcement. So your day-to-day can vary based off of the mission. And we also have different kinds of jobs within security forces. You can be a canine handler. You can be a combat arms instructor and work on the firing line. As a young airman, I was at work by 0445 in the morning. We had bag drags. We had to arm up. We had guard mount, which was pretty much an inspection of all of our equipment and a roll call. And then we would take a bus out into the weapon storage area. And pretty much from 06 in the morning until 1830 in the evening, we were doing nuclear security operations which is very strict. None of us had our cell phones. There's no kind of TV, video games. It's you, the people that you're out there doing the security with, following pretty strict regulations until you are relieved by the next set of individuals. I'm assuming that you uh, you learn to bond with the people that you're you're there for 12 and a half hours with. Oh, yeah. I still talk to so many individuals from my first duty location because of that. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that there's, there's so many different opportunities within the security forces career field. I mean, security forces is literally just like an umbrella term. And then there's so many different entities that fall underneath that umbrella. And, uh, some people may not realize that some people may think I'm just going to be a cop. Um, but there are, so many different opportunities within that career field 
so I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And, and it's cool that not only did you get to be a part of security forces, but you also got to go under some of those different entities to see a different side of the career field. Correct. So how long were you in security forces? Security forces is always going to be my specialty code. I've been in the military for almost 12 and a half years. Okay. It's just the past about two and a half years that I've been down here as a military training instructor. Okay. And how did that process happen? Was it through the uh, developmental special duty program? Mostly. I definitely had conversations with past military training instructors who had met. I wanted to get their opinion on what the job was like. I did kind of a lot of my own research. I will admit that when I was in basic military training, I that's where the seed was planted. I said, I want to do that. Yeah. And on the topic of discussing, you know, Women's History Month and and conversation of that nature, I only recall seeing one or two female MTI. Not to say there wasn't more, but yeah. just in the chaos of everything, that's really what I I saw was one or two and I was like, I want to be a female MTI. I want to come down here. Uh, this job looks so cool. And I had no clue that I would end up in these shoes. I was very fortunate. I had a discussion with my senior enlisted leader at my last duty location, which was at joint base McGuire in New Jersey. And after talking with him, he said, I could totally see you doing that. Um, we're going to go ahead and put you in for that DSD cycle. And that's when I got selected. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, yes. that's really cool. And it, it's, it's good to see. I, I don't know the ratio of how many men and women TIs or training instructors there are, um, but I'm assuming that it's probably a majority men. And uh, yes, I know firsthand that the scariest TIs were the females. Um, it was almost like that, that mom perspective, like they put the fear of God in you and then you listen to them. Um, so, uh, that that's awesome that you got to go down there and do that. And, and that it was one of your choices, because I know that with the developmental special duty, there's there, there, there can potentially be people that maybe don't want to do those things. And then they get put in a position, um, where they can't be successful because of, uh, their outlook on what they're doing. Uh, so you, knowing you wanted to do something like that, you probably went down there, you know, ears perked up, ready to roll and ready to go. And, uh, you know, you're a blue rope MTI now. So that's, uh, the, the proof is in the pudding. Definitely. How long was the training to become a military training instructor? Oh, the training you go to military training instructor school. That's about two months long. They give you a lot of, of foundation for how you will teach. And then you go and you get paired with a black rope that is a military training instructor trainer for about 45 to 60 days. And that's when the real fun begins because there's no instructor per se saying, this is how you're going to do it. This is your trainer saying, this is the objectives for today. What's your plan? Of course, they help you through it. 
but it's like going live for the first time. It's very, I would say like an aggressive kind of training. You need to be quick. You need to always have a plan. You need to be good at personal skills because a lot of being an MTI, being a military training instructor is determining when you need to be an MTI and when you need to be an NCO and when you need to be just a person having those judgments because you're trying to take 45 civilians and turn them into airmen. And you have so many different personality types. You have so many ways individuals have been brought up. You have 17-year-olds, you have 39-year-olds, and you need to be able to adjust based off the situation, off of the person, because the goal is to take however many trainees you started out with and graduate all of them on time. Yeah, I have to say, I was just thinking about that. Managing the different personalities has to be one of the most difficult things. Um, because even as a as a supervisor, a first-line supervisor, when you are in a shop and you've got 10 airmen, just dealing with those different personalities, and then here you are as a training instructor and you have 45 people that all come from different backgrounds, you know, different ideals growing up and goals on what they want to do by joining the Air Force and you have to manage all that. I mean, kudos to you. That That's amazing. Shout out to all military training instructors to be able to, to handle that. That's yes. Cool. It's not for the faint of heart. I remember when I was with my trainer, I went home and I told my spouse, like, I don't know if I can do this job yeah. because it, it is such a huge undertaking, but it's also the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Yeah. So take me through your, your first solo flight. When I was on my own, um, you have six major, right around six major regulations that you kind of look to, to guide your day to day. And when I was on my own and kind of what we do to all new instructors is people come and check on you. And I remember that I was trying to get all the trainees, civilian clothes washed and put away, but I forgot to have them put their laundry marks on their clothing. Then I ended up with a mountain of civilian laundry. And of course, an instructor supervisor, master sergeant walked in and just said, Giard, what is going on in here? <laughs> and uh, that, that was one of the first few days. And I was like, man, this is going to be very interesting. And we all kind of have those stories of how we started out or the little things that happen. It's really nothing major, but it's something that always sticks with you and that you think about. And I remember when I graduated that flight, those trainees or airmen now, they were just like, Sergeant Yard, you you got it together through the cycle. I said, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I'm growing here too. I'm growing with you guys. Right. Right. So how many, how many flights have you pushed through basic training then? I pushed flights for about two years straight. I want to say I was at maybe 13 or 14. Wow. And once I hit about that two year mark, that's when my leadership said, Hey, we need you for this other staff position. And that's what I do now is I'm in charge of all the drill and ceremonies for my squadron, which requires me to float between my squadron, other squadrons and the group. Okay. And what exactly does that entail drill and ceremony? What do you, what are you doing? 
I'm overseeing pretty much how graduation ceremonies are going to happen for my squadron. I organize where the instructors are going to stand. What are the flight orders? I work with the guide on bearers to make sure that they know the correct procedures. I work with other members on the base just to make sure that our squadron is in compliance. And then as a master military training instructor, or as you like to refer to blue rope, uh, um, I'm relied on a lot by my squadron to help them accomplish any other tasks that I can do within this position. Nice. So you're like a jack of all trades. Yep. And just driving a lot of like instructor proficiency within the squadron. That's awesome. So how long is your tour as an MTI? The standard MTI tour is for three years. I just extended for one year. So I will be completing four years. Okay. And then are you going to go back to security forces, I'm guessing? Yes, sir. Okay. And are you are you looking are you excited and looking forward to getting back to the security forces career field? I've always missed security forces. I love being an instructor. I love that the challenges that has presented for me, the opportunities, the development, but I I've always loved being security forces. I miss being out with my other defenders and I am looking forward to going back next year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I actually did four years of recruiting and then I returned to my career field and, uh, I quickly found out, and this isn't, this doesn't happen to everybody that returns to a career field, but that my passion was still in recruiting. And I, there's a time on station requirement for you to reapply to go back into recruiting. So I had to wait four years to go back into recruiting. But like you spoke to, the skills that I obtained while doing a special duty, they helped me immensely in my old career field. I mean, just the ability to be able to speak in public or speaking with conviction and selling, you know, myself being used to selling the Air Force, uh, those things that you learned um, and that you are learning in the training instructor career field are going to, you'll be able to apply those. And that's just one of the great things that we have about the Air Force is that everything you do, you can just take it and stick it in your tool belt and then continue on with your career and be more successful. So that's that's awesome for you. And I'm excited for you to get back to security forces to do that. One thing I wanted to talk about going back to the training instructor stuff. I have a question. I'm sure that a lot of people may think this. Why are you guys and girls so mean on the first night of basic training? I don't know if we're being mean. We are just moving with a purpose. So pickup night, we've got a limited amount of time to get these individuals to their dormitory, get them set up, get their valuables secured, get them in the shower. The goal is to, you know, make sure that you are set up with your belongings, your hygiene, and are able to get a good night's sleep before we start training. There is also kind of that shock and awe factor that we're trying to bring. Hey, you are not Mr. Mrs. Whoever you were before you got here. You are now a trainee. This is Air Force indoctrination. We're getting you here. We're getting you in it now. And for the instructor, we're kind of setting the tone. You know, you're going to listen. You're going to get this stuff done. And I would say that phase, it only really lasts a few days. We got to wake you up. We got to make sure that you know where you're at. 
because there's a lot of important processing things that happen in those first few days. And it's extremely important that all those trainees are meeting what they need to within those first few days. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said that. And I kind of set you up there because I know that you guys and people out there, listeners should know the recruiters are not just trying to be mean. All right. They are moving <laughs> with purpose, which is excellent. I love that moving with purpose. And the three things that you said, moving with purpose, um, setting a statement, you know, setting a standard immediately that shock and awe, um, and then just kind of preparing them for indoctrination. And, uh, that's amazing. So if you're an applicant or a, a member of the Air Force Delayed Entry Program and you're listening to this podcast, you heard it from a training instructor's mouth right there. They are not like just sitting there waiting for you to get off the bus in the middle of the night just to be mean and and scream at you. There is a purpose behind everything that they do. And uh, it's only to make you successful. So uh, I appreciate that you said that and explain that for people. Right. I know that this generation, they need a lot of, a lot of the why, mm-hmm. right? Uh, what, what is the reason behind that? There, every single thing that you do in basic military training from the time you get dropped off until the time you graduate has a purpose. Yeah, for sure. Now I, I like to ask about advice. And since we have a special guest here um, with inside information for those people that are are getting ready to go to basic training or for those people that may be interested in in joining the Air Force, uh, from a training instructor's perspective, what would be your best advice for these individuals? Mm, that's a very good question. Best advice is to know that instructors aren't, maybe even the Air Force, the Air Force isn't really asking you to change who you are. They're just asking you to adopt their values because it doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert, if you are into CrossFit, if you, it doesn't matter what, what you do or where you came from or what you're into. We need all of it. The air force is super benefited off of diversity we need every kind of person in the Air Force. We just need you to adopt the Air Force values because once trainees do that here, once they're like, I am going to have integrity, I am going to do this the right way, or I am going to move with a quickness, or I'm going to practice service before self, and I'm going to practice mutual respect and all of the core values and their subcomponents, as blue as this may sound right now, once you do that, every single thing here becomes easier and Teamwork is easier. Task accomplishment is easier. We don't need you to change who you are. We just need you to buy into what the Air Force has. That's when you get to reap the benefits. Yeah, that's awesome. I did notice that uh, when I was in basic training, I when I first got there, I was like, I don't know how I can complete this. Uh, this, uh, this is too much for me. Um, and then I kind of had like a an aha moment when things started slowing down a little bit. And I had a great training instructor, um, Staff Sergeant Dillon. I still remember him. He was a former special operations weather technician. And uh, he had an impact on me, obviously. And 
once I just kind of understood that we were just following instructions and living by the core values and and to be able to fall in line and, and adopt those, I mean, the last half of basic training was, it was fun. Uh, I got to build these amazing connections and relationships with people. And, uh, and it was, it was a really, really great experience for me. Um, so I always pass that on to, to my, my recruits and applicants and then people that are thinking about joining the air force. So I appreciate that advice, um, to our listeners. And I, I hope that they listen to that with, uh, you know, with the truth behind it. So, so there's a, a couple more questions that I want to ask you, um, before we, uh, shut this down. Um, the sure. first question I always ask all the, I always ask these last two questions to every single guest. Um, but the first question I have is over your 12 year career, what is some of the best advice that you've been given or mentorship that you've given that you will take with you for the rest of your life? Very easy. One thing comes to mind and it happened to me when I was a staff sergeant. Um, I'm very passionate about being in the air force. I'm somebody who's always trying to tackle everything at once. I want to be the best. I want my subordinates to be the best. I want my work center to be the best. And I remember feeling at one point in time, just so many things were out of my control. And I had a senior master sergeant tell me, GR, you just need to control what's in your sandbox. And what he meant by that was control what you can. You can't fix everything. You can't always make everyone happy. But what you can do, make that a reflection of you. And that's something that's always stuck with me. That's something that I tell others to kind of reel them back in and level them back out and ground them. I think that the Air Force is full of a ton of great people that are just... I don't know. It's just like sometimes we get carried away with trying to be the best at everything. And sometimes you just need to ground yourself, make sure you're taking care of yourself at work, make sure you're taking care of yourself personally. And something that's always stuck with me is just control what I can control my sandbox. Yeah. I like that. Control your sandbox. That's awesome. That's great advice. I appreciate that. Uh, The last question I have, for you, Sergeant Giard, is if I was a brand new airman, I just graduated through one of your awesome ceremonies, and I am now about to go off on my adventure in the United States Air Force, and I got to sit down with Sergeant Giard. What kind of information or advice or mentorship would you have for this airman that just started their brand new career? That's easy. Uh, Something that I tell my trainees when they graduate, I say, wherever you go, think about the type of airman that you want to be. And when you see that type of airman, leech onto them, whether that's a staff sergeant, that's a senior airman, any kind of rank, ask that person how they got there. And it doesn't have to be your career field. Once you find a mentor that you can connect with, it's it's priceless. It's super valuable. I've had a few different mentors within my career, not always security forces. And that's what I did is I just latched onto them and any kind of, of those good nuggets that they could give me to just help me not only in the air force, but just life. Cause most times my mentors did outrank me. They're more seasoned. 
I would really take the time to latch on to them. How did you get here? Because you can, you can try and figure this thing out on your own, but why do that when you see all these great leaders? Definitely latch on to someone, have them help you, whether it's personally, professionally. Um, without my mentors, I don't think I would be in the position that I am in right now. Yeah, that's amazing. And you have the wonderful opportunity to be able to sit down with all of your brand new airmen uh, after they graduate and you get to share that wisdom. So that that's awesome that you get to pass that on. Um, yes, sir. I have, I'm going to pivot. I know I said that was my last question, but I just thought of another really good one because I know how demanding your job is as a training, training instructor. And then just in the air force in general, you know, a lot of the jobs are demanding. How do you balance uh, work life and then home life? How do you turn that um, Sergeant GR, the TI off, um, and then turn it back on. I think it's easy to kind of switch your demeanors. What's harder to do is when is it time to let go of work? You know, when you go home, especially as you climb into your ranks, your phone is always going off. Someone can always reach you, whether it's texting or phone call. And you need to make it clear with either your subordinates or your superiors or your coworkers or just yourself. Hey, this is my time for me, or this is my time for me and my family. You, you definitely need to prioritize that time because your job, whatever your current job is, of course you want to do well at it, but it's only going to be there for so long. You are there forever. You need to take care of your mental health. Your family is your family. You need to take care of your family learn to balance the quality time that you have off of work it is very difficult to do sometimes. But if you, I mean, I follow the chief master of the air force on Instagram. That's something that she just posted about this morning is the quality time that she makes even for her family. And I know that she has way more going on <laughs> in her day to day than I certainly do. And when, when you see that practice from those higher levels all the way down uh, I think that that can be positive for all airmen. That's something that I try to do is when I'm at home, I try to make that time just for myself and my family, leave work at work type of deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I have three kids and a wife and uh, I have to turn it off because I've got to switch gears right. and go into dad and husband mode. So uh, I definitely understand being able to balance that that uh and and having that quality time because if you don't do that you you get lost in in the work and then you and then everybody else you know it affects other people more than you so but correct that's all i have sergeant gr this was really awesome um i enjoyed talking with you again i haven't been able to have the opportunity to sit down and speak with the training instructors so you provided me with some great information uh your story's really insightful and, um, it was just a pleasure to have you on. So I'm, I'm really glad that you got to come on. Thank you for having me as well. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And best of luck in the future. Go finish that degree and, and get back to your <laughs> courses. And, uh, Definitely. yeah, I'm sure that we'll talk soon. And, and, and again, shout out to Sergeant Hall for making this connection to, uh, to get you on here and we appreciate having you on the air power. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen. That is Sergeant Sarah Giard. This is the Air Power Hour. Take care, friends.